welcome to the Growing Pains Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Delavaneri. Every entrepreneur has a unique story. The Growing Pains Podcast is all about unveiling and reverse engineering those stories. Through hearing the hardships, failures, and successes, we hope to educate, inspire, and connect the entrepreneurial community of Lakeland. Now, let's get into this week's episode. We're going to kind of start this conversation off the same place that we that we started the last one off with. Um, you know, I think where I want to where I want to reframe this is when you went to college. You know, what did you hope would happen after college? Like you went there with the purpose. You thought you were going to have some sort of a career. You know, that that would happen post college. So entering that that stage of your life, like how did you see it playing out after this four years? Like you graduate and then what happened? Yeah, I think when you go to college, you want everything. You want the world. You know, without really earning the world yet. Um, well, having context, even having, what that means. <laughs> yeah, what, is, what does the world mean? But I think just having that energy for life is so important young, and I think it sets you up for whatever path you end up taking. I was always personally very open to anything. So finishing four years at a school, maybe, you know, I was studying missions, so going on a year mission trip and taking a year off and going living in another country, I was just very open to whatever I felt like I should do. So and you feel like in that season, you were just open to wherever, wherever kind of life. So you didn't have any hard and fast. Maybe like you obviously had a focus because right. you had to pick something. Right, right. But but you were still open even to that choice being flexible. I mean, hard a part of it. I feel like in hindsight, I think I thought this, but maybe as an eighteen year old, I didn't. But I still think I the goal was just to you know, absorb as much as I could where I was and gain any tools I could to become the person I wanted to be. I was a little bit more gracious with myself to just sort of be and take things in than maybe the very heavy academic type people. I also wasn't the heavy well, academic cause, person. Cause, you know, cause that, I guess so. that's even what I'm getting at in a way is like that mode of thinking isn't exactly what I would say the, would be mainstream. You know, mainstream would be going into that period of life with a very rigid view mm-hmm. of what you're going to so I, I would almost like what I love so much about your 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 journey early on mm-hmm. is that you did take a different path. And I do believe that that path leads to long-term happiness right. a lot more than that rigid path does. Of course. But you know, if you had to like, what do you think preempted you to to be so less rigid? Because I would say most of the people probably around you, they had very solid like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get my my MBA mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna go and do this thing, or I'm yeah. gonna get an engineering degree, I'm gonna go and do this thing. And that's what I hear a lot is like 18 chosen what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Not really open to anything else. Uh, And then, then as life kind of hands out, that's when you start to take that very rigid view and make it a lot less rigid. So my senior year of high school, um, I was planning on going to Auburn university. I was that rigid person. I was accepted into the nursing program with scholarships. Everything was set. My best friend was going with me. A lot of my friends had gone to Auburn. And so that was just the path. That's just what you do. A lot of, you know, kids from my school went to Auburn and Alabama and these different schools. And something shifted in me where I just didn't want to be in the mold that I had put myself in. And I kind of had this bird's eye view of my life and was like, I don't think that's the path that I want to take anymore. And so my senior year of high school, like a month before I graduated, did a total 180 Decided to go to a small Christian school in Southern California. Freaked my parents out. Because like, they're like, what's going on? What's going on? I'm the firstborn. This is the path. I have the, you know, the... You're supposed to set the example for the rest oh, of them. Oh, yes. And of course, my sister follows me, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I think because I made that transition on my own, I got to college and I was like, hey, 
four months ago, I had no idea I'd be living in this state at this university studying what I've chosen to study. So like, let me give some space. Like who knows where I'll be in six months. So I think that shift when I was the type of person I went to like a college prep high school, you have a plan, you pick a degree. It was, you know, very calculated and I just flipped the switch and it was the best thing to happen to my life. So I was like, let me just give myself some time to see this out. You know, I love that because at 18, you have all of the time in the world and and it didn't feel that way. And I don't know. I don't know that feeling. You get more perspective as you get older and you're like, man, I didn't even realize what I had at 18. So you kind of, kind of have this awakening that happens, you know, at a very early age, um, which, which kind of propels you toward what you, what you think you want to get into theology and, 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 you know, you're going, I kind of, kind of think I want to do this, but I want to taste it and make sure and you know, you probably saw that there was a gap between, you know, what your vision of that career path was mm-hmm. and then what the, what the reality of the day to day, you probably know that more than, more than most, because your, your other half is, is in that field a hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when you, you went to school for four years, um, for a thing that you didn't end up, you know, making your career, how did you know where to pivot and what led that pivot? I know you ultimately got into real estate, but it sounds like a certain, you know, series of things happened post-college that kind of, kind of opened your eyes to something else. Yeah. So I actually only did two years of that school okay. because my husband got offered a job at Southeastern university and brought us to Lakeland. And so that, that job offer was an opportunity for us to get married young and for me to finish school for free, which if you're paying for private Christian education, it's not cheap. So that yeah, was yeah. half of my undergrad for free. And so it's kind of interesting redialoguing this because it was I feel like it was another flipping of the switch. It was kind of this 180 where, you know, my life, not that it was uprooted in a negative way, but I transitioned obviously to back across the country, back to Florida, which is um, ironic. It's almost like you embraced change. Like you were Correct. just very open to it at that point. Yeah. And as we get older like that, that closes, like you're probably even less open to change now than you were at 18 because you've got roots and totally. you know everything else. Yeah. I think though, when I moved here and I finished my degree, I did really want to work in a ministry type job because um, my husband did that. So it was easier for me to be open with myself post high school because it was just me. But now when my other half and our life we've built and what I'm passionate about is doing that, that makes sense. You know, exactly. again, you fit the mold. I was fitting the mold what I was wanting to do when I was going to Auburn. And so in a bit of you're very easy for y'all yes. like tree trunks oh. to grow into that. I mean, it'd Drive be way easy to, to lean to into it. Yeah. yeah, so easy. But I don't think like a good life is an easy life. Yeah, it's interesting. I think in the beginning, I wanted a typical, more secular job, medical field, and then totally chose ministry. And then when I chose ministry, it was like, oh, no, I'm back in a secular job. And so, yeah, I've learned a lot. What I think is interesting about your story, too, is that it wasn't just you who were open to this. Your husband was open to it, too. I mean, like, you didn't just pick real estate. Like, he almost kind of gave you a nudge into that direction, which is counterintuitive because you would have thought that the ministry man would have have been kind of steering you toward ministry because that would would fit, right? and that would be easier, but... But you got a sense that it didn't fit, and he got a sense that it didn't. Yeah, I think he saw in me my social skills. Like I just, I love talking. If I could just spend all day talking to people I don't know, I am the happiest person where his personality is a little bit more introverted. So that's a very draining for him where that just fills my cup. So I think he always saw me working in a more in the city type job with different people. And so with us just buying a house and me enjoying that process, he was like, Hey, I think this actually is a really good fit for your personality. And you could be 
a really great resource for the church working in more of a secular type job. That makes sense. And, and so you, you you started down that path, and you, I, you know when you first got on it, what did you think it was going to be versus what it what it has kind of become you know, developed into? I remember when you and I kind of talked earlier, you were saying you know I really didn't like the sales aspect of this. And then you started seeing kind of some other sides of real estate to where you could lean into some more of your gifts, like what you said, to help people. Yeah, I knew I'd be good at sales, but I also really value our role in the church. And so I was very sensitive on how being a salesperson would somehow cheapen or make it seem like, I don't know, that we were using the church for sales. Like you're monetizing your relationships. Yes, like that was my nightmare. And that's why I did not want to do a sales job because it wasn't worth sacrificing that role for us. Because it kind of makes the influence almost like uh, icky almost. Exactly. But then I kind of had this enlightenment. I was like, but if it's not me who's going to be a realtor, then who's going to be a realtor? Like we need people who are in the church and who love God to be in industries like this. So someone has to step up to the plate. And so I did that very cautiously and very careful. And so I just made it all about people as much as I could. I made this kind of idea and this theme for me when I got into real estate. It's going to be about the client, not the commission. That was sort of my own little theme in my head, meaning like in real estate, you you know what you're going to make the minute they sign a contract. You know, you can, yes, it needs to go to closing for that to be completed, but you kind of have an idea. And so I've always said, I'm not going to calculate what I'm going to make until the day of closing, because I always want to see people as people, not a dollar amount. I don't want to value one person at a $200,000 sale and another one is a 500. They are all people and they all need to be cared for it. And that's my job. And so even little things like that, I just set those standards and parameters in my mind in the beginning. So I would just always make it about people. Well, and I think what was interesting about that is like, you know, when you were, when you were doing this, you're pretty young um, compared to the average real estate agent. And that could have been seen as, as maybe something that held you back. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think it's something that ha- on the long term has propelled your career forward um, because it sounds like you, 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 you aligned with people at the first stage of buying and then they've been able to kind of grow with you um, as you've, as you've, as you've gone on in your career to buy, yeah. to buy the second, you know, multiple houses, mm-hmm. you know, so, so how did you, how were you thinking about that when you were going through it? And, and it sounded like, how did you leverage that to, to kind of grow your book of business? Yeah, I think once, because I was 24 when I became a realtor and, you know, I had just graduated from Southeastern, but my husband was still at the university. And so I'm just learning about how to buy a house and actually how affordable it is. And especially at that time, I because, mean, because until you calculate it, you, you don't, don't realize know. it. Yeah. Right. And younger people aren't being educated mm-hmm. on their ability to do that and what those numbers actually look like, because I feel like the industry is just focused on maybe people in their thirties plus. And so I felt like this advocate going to these 23 year olds that are getting full-time jobs out of college being like, you can do this. Like, here are the numbers, like set yourself up. Lakeland is such an awesome place to invest in. It's just going to continue to grow. Like, let's do it. So it kind of became this like, well, you're almost, you, you know, people. I get that though, because a lot of times you're running this equation of what can I afford to pay in rent? Okay. And I've got someone right. in my office right now that's paying, like, in my right. opinion, the rent is pretty high. It was more than my first mortgage high. was. Yep. And they didn't really realize that. So I had a conversation. I'm like, you know, I bought a house when I was your age. And I paid $400 less a month than what you're paying for rent right now. Right. Like you should really calculate this out because all that could be standing between you and owning a home is the down payment. Right. And for first time homeowners, like you can get some pretty good, you take advantage yes. of some pretty good programs. Yeah. And I think talking to younger people in that time when I would enlighten them on this and teach them and they'd be like, oh my gosh, we can do this. We're going to do this. 
they would say, we were just too scared to ask older realtors. We didn't feel like qualified. We felt like stupid asking questions. And so from that point, when I realized that I started doing these like first time home buyer classes Mm -hmm. where I would just like rent a room at Cobb and Penn or rent a room at Hillcrest and, you know, buy everyone coffee and just say, Hey, let's talk about this. How can we make one, two, three year goals for you to do what you, you know, allow the dreams that you have to come to fruition and not be intimidated by the conversation. That's interesting. So, you know, in in that way, like you think about it, you were really leveraging your, your youthfulness to be a little bit more approachable and relatable to the buyer that you were, that you were kind of seeking to do business with. Also unintentionally, those are the people that would listen to me when you're 23. I can't go to like a 35 year old and be like, Hey, you want me to sell your house? Let me school you on something. Yeah. I was like, Hey, we're in the same season of life. This is what I'm learning. Like, see if it matters to you. But you know what? In a in a world where it's full of fake it till you make it, you know, maybe it's more of a lean into who you are, where you are. For sure. You know, yeah. and and because that is uniquely yours. Like, you know what? Someone who's 45 and been in the industry for 20 years can't go back and be 24. Okay. So you, you get you get into into real estate and then you start to see, you know, the type of effects that a career like that has in your life. You know, when you got into it, you didn't have kids. I don't know if you were really thinking about like the long-term, you know, effects on your life, but you started to see that there were definitely some things that you, that you wanted to leverage that you almost are like, I couldn't do without them now. So, so kind of talk to me about how that played out in your life and, and you know, how, how, how your realization of maybe some of these time freedoms that came up, um, how you saw that working with your life as you became a mom and, and beyond. Yeah. I think starting your own business, whatever that looks like, time is your choice. Time is whatever you want to make it. So you can work a ton and give your whole life, which is awesome in a certain season, or you can scale back because time is also money. So you have to value time like you do money. So even in having kids, I may not be working as much, but my time is valuable and I'm becoming rich in my experience with my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just have to see it as always changing. You're always evaluating time and how it works with your family. Um, I think with business and family, especially, it has to be a we thing. It can't be a me thing. I remember getting to a point of success with my husband and saying like, chase this. I, cause I understand there's sacrifices in business and there's a lot of gain when you own your own business, but it can't be my thing. It has to be our thing. So you have to understand that. Yes. Yeah, some Tuesdays we can totally go to a two hour lunch and that's the beauty of owning our own thing and having our own time. But sometimes on a Saturday night, I have to work from seven to 10 PM and write contracts. But if we're doing it together, you know, multiple times a week, my husband and I will say like, you know, cause he needs to work on music or something. Say, Hey, let's have a date tonight, 8 PM. We'll, we'll put on a vinyl, a couple glasses of wine, and we'll just sit and work together. So we're both working, but we're doing it together and we're making it a we thing. So it's not my work taking away from time from our family. It's we're doing this together. We're carving out time because we both value it. I love that. You know, so, so you all kind of understand that for have this work-life harmony, that it also means that you're not, you're not just tied to the eight hours a day. Like sometimes it is bleed over to the weekends, but that weekend work time is kind of what enables you to lean into a Tuesday afternoon when, when, when the moment strikes or the season is right. Okay. What do you all do on a weekly basis to stay in tune like that? Cause I know me and my wife, it's something we struggle with is like keeping, keeping that kind of thing in front of us. And, and then, and then making a decision like what you just said, like, Hey, eight to 10 tonight, let's have a a work date. And while you're doing this, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So something really practical, three years ago, we bought a like calendar on Etsy, but it's really cool. And we put it in our kitchen. So it's like kind of an acrylic thing. And we have our expo marker and every month we sit down and we only put things on it that pertain to both of us. So my work isn't on it. His work isn't on it. 
as far as, or more so the things that bleed over after work hours that would affect both of us. That makes so, sense. Like, Hey, we're going to go to a play date or we're going to, we got a correct. birthday party or we got this or that yeah, different things like that. And so we can look at our calendar and we can manage and value our time together and cross things out and say, Hey, I know you want to do this, but this isn't going to work with the value of our family and kids. And so we're not going to do that, but we're going to find time here to do that. So me and my husband talk about time every single day. Like we dialogue our schedule way too much, but we have to, to be able to do all the things we want to do and also have time for our kids. Um, we also, you know, we've really the last, actually just like three months. So it's kind of new, like carve out every Thursday, four hours alone together. Sometimes that is 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. because we want to be with our kids at night. Sometimes it's a true date night, but it doesn't really matter when it is as long as you have it and it's consistent. So we stick to like rigid schedules like that as best as we can. But yeah, I think too, what was hard for me going from working nine to five to owning my own thing is almost feeling guilty when on a Tuesday from 10 to two, I do need to relax. I need to work out. I need to like read, be alone. I need to have lunch with my husband because I am going to be showing homes from four to 8 p.m. that night. But it is this when you're in that, you know, mode of it for so many years, you almost feel bad that the whole world is working around you and you're not, I, but you have to fill your cup. I like totally relate to that statement, guilt. Like mm-hmm. it, it is, it's strong, yeah. you know, when you're, because you can't just shake the societal, like, Structure of time. Yeah that, yeah, that we all are supposed to fit into. And I I do struggle with that. Like when I'm working out, I'm constantly thinking like, okay, well, I'm gonna probably going to get the two and a half to three hours with my kids today. And here I am prioritizing, you know, 45 minutes to an hour for this. Like that's, you know, a third of the time I'm going to give to them later. And, you know, so because you're in control of it, you're constantly like judging yourself on how you choose to spend it when you all are setting up your, your time in the, in the buckets that you, that you'd really like to see allocated, like, is there, are there, are there certain things that you're looking for on a weekly or monthly basis? Like, Hey, you know, like you, you pulled out the, we really want to schedule ourselves four hours together on Thursdays. And if this Mm -hmm. Thursday is busy, I take it that you try to move that around, find a Tuesday or Wednesday hole or wherever you can, you know, are there any other thing? Like when you're, when you're thinking about like the time you want to spend with your kids, like, how do you, how are you slicing that up? from the time that you spend together versus the time that you're spending you know, chipping away at this career and, and trying to grow right. that. The key is there's non-negotiables. So there's no, we're going to move Thursday date night. So you're like, this is, no, this is it's like church on Sunday. Like we, yes. we can't, we can't move it. So nope. this is, that means that yep. we can't go on vacation every weekend or if we're going to do an overnight, it's got to be like, that A was one of the yes. things my wife had to come to is we're going, we can't do Saturday night over overnights right. because then it screws up Sunday morning. So, right. we, so for you, you're going Thursday's got to be a date that we, we yep. schedule everything else around. Yeah. And so it's not, I think, yeah, I don't think it's about having these pockets that you have to keep to. It's just having two or three that never change. And then everything else falls into place. So like Saturday nights, we don't, go out or do anything because we want to be a family before church on Sunday. Like there's just whatever your thing is, just make two or three that non-negotiable. And it almost feels good to say no, because in business, we have to say yes all the time. That's another deal. That's another opportunity. And it's like, but at the end of the day, for what? Sell your soul. It's like, if you don't have your kids and your spouse or whatever that is, your family, your community, your church, then what, why? Yeah, but what, why build a business? So you don't have to make like, I wouldn't say no to everything 10 times a week, but have two or three like life altering. These are what make me, me. And I need those to be who I am in business and don't change those. Well, and what I love about that advice is it makes you really think about like your two or three, mm-hmm. you know, cause if you had a spot for 10, like you could probably keep filling that, the, those gaps up, but you're going up, nope, you only get to pick three. Right. So you can it. pick anything you want, but you can't pick everything. 
Yep. And everything you say no to, you are saying yes to the important things. So instead of feeling bad about the no's, you know, put that much more emphasis on those two or three things that you're saying yes to and make that time count. You know, how important is it that it be almost systemized weekly versus it just being something you do once a month or once every other week, kind of haphazard? Oh, we need structure. Like as spontaneous as we'd like to think we are as people, like I pride myself in being so spontaneous. I need structure. I need to brush my teeth in the morning, have a cup of coffee. Like that's how we're designed to be by habit. And so if we don't have that, that's where I get kind of frenzied even in business. It flows over to how I am as a mom and you just get so insecure in all your roles. It just like implodes. Mm-hmm. So you, I feel like you definitely need just a few. Of course, there's margin for things of vacations and you know your great grandma's birthday or something like that. But for the most part, keep those because that'll keep you sane and keep you more, you know, successful in business. I agree with that. You know, I, I always think about my schedule like um, like muscle memory. And, 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 you know, and it's like if if you schedule yourself in a way, it's almost like your body knows what's coming next. You, But, man, when you break that schedule um, or if you don't stick to it, it's really hard to get those new habits to stick. Yep. You know, like like until until we until we said. Saturdays are going to be a non-negotiable night, like, cause we're doing church on Sunday. Like we never got consistent on going to church every Sunday, but once we, once we said, Hey, you know, every, every Saturday night we're at home. Well, man, it, it just became so much easier to hit that, that schedule so, the next day. Yeah. Just like when we started setting a bedtime, it made it way easier to wake up at the same time each right. day. Right. It was exactly. never about, it was yes. never about the wake up time. It was always about the go to bedtime prep. Yeah. And I think with your kids too, you know, they don't, they don't need us to be with them 10 hours a day, nonstop, their full attention. They just need to know we're there. And so the weeks that I have to work a few nights and maybe I'd feel guilty, you know, I just tell my daughters like, Hey, we're going to be together on family day on Friday. We do that every week. They have these reassurances built in that they know they're going to have our undivided attention at these certain times of the week, no matter what, no matter how busy work is or not, they are the value. So I think that just, you know, makes them feel very prioritized and that helps with that business guilt. I love that, you know, because I, I, I struggle with that, with that subject a lot, like trying to separate what my kids need versus what I want. Um, and, and, you know, cause I'm constantly going, you know, man, well, don't they just need as much my time as I have to give to them? And I'm, I'm not there yet. I mean, I'm still, still getting, getting comfortable with this subject, but I'm starting to get into a place where I'm understanding that you're right. They don't need my time all the time. They need my time consistently every single week. And that's where I've struggled with like, you know, having one versus four. Cause, right. cause I don't have more time to give. I'm just splitting it more ways. Yeah. Um, but I'm starting to put a lot more emphasis on the village, on, on the, on the, the, the childcare systems that we've got on, 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 on the church that we're, that we're a member of on, on the family members and friends in our life that all have impact on them yeah. and, and starting to, to kind of put more emphasis there. But so you would say to those who are struggling maybe with the with this parental guilt, like mm-hmm. where you're where you're driving your time into, mm-hmm. um, especially those that are business owners that have to kind of reconcile this idea that they're in a hundred percent in control of the time that they're that they're using, but if they were to choose to use it a hundred percent on their family, um, they're not gonna be able to make their bills at the end of the month. So yet at some point you gotta say, I, I can't do that. Yeah. You would say to those people, it just matters more about the consistency of of you spending the time versus being able to carve out five hours every day to 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 do one into one time with the kids. Correct. I mean, I'd rather have an hour of my husband's undivided attention than three hours of him distracted, but around me. And it's the same with your kids. So your kids need intentional time where they are the ones or your husband. So I, Thursdays, I stay home with my, my little one. And some Thursdays I'm on my phone 
all five hours that I'm home with her. I'm working or I'm emails when she's napping or holding her and trying to type an email and she's turning off my computer and things like that. And I'm like, this is terrible. I should have her with a nanny during this time for two hours so I can get my stuff done and then spend three hours undivided with her, you know, but that's always the balance of life and business. And so, but the goal should always be intentional time, even if it's less than just the massive, it's like quantity over quality. They want quality with you, not quantity. I totally get that. Cause that's a lot of times that's the hack I'm using is I'm going, okay, I didn't finish all my stuff today, but I, I had on my schedule. I was going to take off early and try to take them to the park. And so then I try to do both. I go pick them up. I take them to the park and I'm on my phone emailing like while the they're worst. running around <laughs> yeah, and like, then I'm done, I get done with it and I'm going, well, I really wasn't a hundred percent on my job because either, I'm distracted right, and yeah. I really wasn't a great dad because right. they would have loved to play hide and seek, but right. I was too busy shooting that next email off. Right. Exactly. And so, and so what you'd say is, listen, instead of trying to do both, just do one thing at a time. That's all const- we can do. Constrain yeah. the time and be okay with whatever that is for this week. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, so, so as you've gotten uh, deeper into this, how do you keep on staying aware of like your work-life harmony? Cause it sounds like it's not like you can just set it and forget it, set a course and then, and then just keep working that plan. So it seems like you're every, every so often you're kind of reevaluating, is this still work for us? And then you and your husband are having this conversation. So tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, we just, um, our second born will turn one next month, but you know, when you're in it, you feel like she was just born. So we just added another human into the mix. Um, I think communication is just everything. Like you just constantly have to be talking about what works, what doesn't be okay to communicate to your spouse or to your kids or ask your kids like, Hey, you know, is it okay that mommy goes and does this? Or if daddy does this, or, Hey, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to spend time with you here. As long as you're leading the charge with your family and you're not carrying the business as a burden, you know, like it's kind of going back to the we thing. Like, you know, I, my, my daughter's three and she talks about when I pick her up from school, you want to go buy house, mommy? I have $3. Like she just like, she has no idea what she's talking about, but I take her on showings when I can, as Mm -hmm. much as I can, like as much as I can integrate my kids into the work, it, it just becomes more cohesive and more natural. And then they don't feel like, cause your kids just want to be with you. It doesn't really matter if you're working or if you're at the park or if you're at Disney World, they just want you and they want to be in your world. They want to feel included. So as much as you can bring them along on the journey and make them feel a part, I feel like the guilt will lessen and the flow will just make more sense because I had to show three homes, but I want to be with my daughter. Now I get to do both and it worked today. Tomorrow might not, but today it did. So I just think just taking it day by day and always getting the atmosphere of your family and their needs. It's so tiring to do it all. It's exhausting. Um, And some days you crush it and some days... You don't. And so you got to be okay with both. You have to be okay with both and understanding the ebbs and flows of different seasons of the year, whatever industry you're in. And just constantly talking about that, like summer is my busiest season. And so we do not travel in the summer. And my husband knows that, but that is his least busy season. And so he kind of taps in a little bit more with the girls, a little more activity where in the fall, people don't necessarily buy as many houses around Christmas, too many set up, tear down Christmas trees, but the church calendar is crazy in the, you know, around fall and Christmas time. And so we just understand the weight we have to pull, but we're always in communication about it. I love that idea. You know, that, that don't, don't judge it so much on a week to week, month to month basis, but look at, look at a little bit more annualized and understand that no matter what industry you're in, it has heavy seasons, mm-hmm. it has light seasons. Yeah. And so that means lean into the light times with the family and lean, lean into the career with, during yeah, the heavy times and, yeah. and, and, and be okay with that tempo. Okay. I love that. I love that. Okay. So, you know, the, the, if you're speaking to the person that is 
maybe start now in their in their in their entrepreneurial journey. And so they've been working a corporate job for most of their life where you're really taught to segment life and life and family. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you're really taught like, okay, you got yeah, bucks of time we're working, course, we got bucks yeah. of time we're not at working. You know, what are the what are the what's the first advice you give them to start that transition into this to this harmony? Yeah, give yourself time. <gasps> like give yourself so much time. I remember um, cause when I transitioned, my husband was still in a his more job is more flexible now, but in a more like nine to five type mm-hmm. thing. And I would just call him at like 12 o'clock being like, I don't have business. I don't know what to do. I feel like I should be doing something. The whole world's working around me and I'm just sitting here. And it was, he, he's, he's so funny. He goes, why don't you just take your business cards and go put them on every car on Lake Hollingsworth? And I was like, that is the dumbest idea, but I'm totally out of ideas. So I'm going to go do it. Like, you're like, why not? Just why not? Yeah. So I would say like, especially in the beginning when you don't have as much workload to fill that time during the day that you will in six months to a year, just boots to the ground, do stuff, even if it's stupid and makes no sense. And, you know, passing out business cards is definitely not my vibe, but in that time, I just needed to fill it and feel like I was doing something. So I always tell my realtors too, when they're starting out, like, don't work at home. Yes. That's a beauty of real estate. You can be in your pajamas, you know, doing your contracts and stuff, but get dressed in the morning and go to a coffee shop and work there, be around people, you know, put yourself in the mix, put yourself in the community because people will ask you, Hey, what do you do for work? You're not in an office. And that's a natural opportunity to talk to someone about what you do. Um, you know, spark up conversation with people in public and ask them what they do. And the awkward natural inclination is for them to ask you what you do. And that's an easy way for you to tell them what you're a realtor. So just being in the mix and getting yourself out there I think is really important in the transition. You know, once you get used to that flexible schedule, you know, that's, that is the perk. You can hustle from home and have your kids. You know, and I love that advice because I feel like most people are like, no, lean into the stay at home piece. But I think you're right. I think that there is time when, you know, just like we were talking about that muscle memory, like sometimes getting your shower, getting dressed and getting out of the house. Yes is is like the piece you need to, to flip the switch to yeah. go on again. Even just brush your teeth before 10. Mm-hmm. Like do it. Like it'll change how you do work. Have it, have it a routine yes. that, you, that you stick because that's, you know, the, the, the good part about corporate America is it forces you into a daily routine that a right. lot of us are just not disciplined enough to, to keep, right. you know, when you don't have someone breathing down your neck to do it. You're going, well, I got to send out emails today. That doesn't require that I get dressed. But your whole mentality changes, like how you show up for something is the expectation you're going to have for it, especially when you're starting out. You know, as you get going, you're going to build that muscle, like you said, and it'll become natural. But yeah, get dressed if you're the only one coming to the meeting, but come ready. You'll have a better, you know, drive for it and, you know, more purpose for what you're doing. And you'll take yourself more seriously. I don't take myself seriously in pajamas. I'm relaxed. I'm a joke. But if I'm dressed for the day and I did my hair, I'm like, oh, I'm ready to kill. Yeah, There's a difference in the mentality. I love it. You, I don't, if you've, if you've never met Paige in person, she's got like this really positive vibe energy. Like if you were, if you were like an e having an Eeyore day and you sat in a coffee <laughs> shop with Paige for like five minutes, the, the vibe, the vibe would make you smile. Okay. So, um, if, if there, if someone's listening that is maybe in the market right now for, uh, for some real estate, you know, where, how do they connect you? It's the best way to find you. And you know, what's your ideology behind, behind, you know, real estate? Cause it doesn't sound like you're just like any other realtor that's going to just open the doors. Like you're, you're really working with the, with the client, like we're yeah. we're finding figuring out where their needs are at, what they're really after, and then trying to fill in those gaps. Yeah, totally. Um, I think the easiest way would probably be my website or Instagram. My Instagram is the most fun thing to go to. I feel like Instagrams are more fun than websites now. So they can look at that, but 
Yeah, I, my first thing when someone is interested in buying a home is I always sit down with them and we always have coffee or we go to lunch because we are going to go on quite a journey together and it's going to have hard parts and there's going to have highs and lows and mountains and valleys. And so I think establishing some sort of relationship and goals with what you're looking for and trust in me, you know, when you're, especially when you're buying a home, you know, the, the sellers, when you sell a home, they're the ones that pay real estate commission. So when you buy a home, your realtor is essentially free to you. So you should be very picky. I always tell buyers like, like you should interview realtors. You should meet with a few, like this is a great resource to you and you get to choose who's going to be your advocate and really take you through this journey. And so I love to sit down with people, hear their goals, give them a rundown on what to expect, especially a first time home buyer. Like we talked about, you know, young people, they don't know. There's just not a lot of resources out there on like, what are the five things to expect when buying a home? And so kind of talking through that and then, yeah, going on the journey together. It's an art, not a science. I always tell people that. So if you're really a calculated person and want assurance, I'm going to be giving you a lot of pep talks along the way because that is that does not happen. So you just have to, you know, every situation, every house, every owner is completely different every single time. And that's what keeps the job fresh for me because um, I love different things all the time, you know, but for people that are more calculated, they really have to lean on and trust that professional they've hired to, you know, guide them through that process. Yeah. Like, Hey, is it, am I overpaying for this? What yep. should I offer? Oh, are like, they going to cancel? What if they do this? What if, what if? And I said, Hey, what ifs are going to kill you? Just lean on me. I've got this, like, trust me. And I will give you every single scenario to every single thing that will happen. And then we just got to trust it. And that's that cool sort of, they have to lean on me as a person and that faith thing kind of comes in because it doesn't matter what you believe. You have to have faith in the process. You cannot guarantee that house will be yours until closing day. Especially so whatever, not right now. Especially not right now. So, Or even that you'll get the contract, you know, it'll go under contract. So that faith element is always really fun. And I really enjoy navigating people to have hope and getting to the finish line. And making it a fun process. Oh, so you, you know, fun. Because it's like, you know, that's the thing is it's so easy for it to be a stressful process. Oh, yes. You know, it, and to be no I mean, fun. Buying a home is one of the top three stressors of your life is transitioning and moving. And so, yeah, people, I just, I want people to understand the seriousness of what they're doing. Like, mm -hmm. yes, it is fun and beautiful and houses are awesome, which they are. But, you know, just really laying that foundation to what they're going to walk into. It makes sense. You know, and then and then on the current state of like the, the residential market, do, do you all see prices continuing to, to go the direction they have been going? Do you all think that it's starting to level out? Or is it, you know, hard to tell either way? Yeah, I, the pandemic was a shocker. Mm -hmm. That was when the whole world shut down. Uh, my industry blew up. Um, so that was wild. Like when I thought I was going to sit at home for three months and work from home, I was in houses every single day. So it was the complete opposite. I, I think it is slowing down a little bit, not in prices going down. Like I don't see it as a negative. You don't, you don't see that. It's just, but this is the also demand the natural is slowing lull. down. Yeah. I yes. mean, this is right after school starts. Yeah, Hurricane <laughs> season, the holidays, it's a natural low. So, but for example, instead of seeing 10 to 15 offers on a property in 2020, we're seeing like two to four, which is still very competitive. I mean, you still only have a 20, 25% chance. Still better than what it was still two years ago. Still better than what it was, but we didn't have that three or four years ago. That wasn't the thing. You offered 5,000 lower and asked for 8,000 towards closing costs and you got it two days mm -hmm. on the market. So it's just a very different industry, but I do... I feel like buyers got tired of it naturally. That's so tiring. Because you don't want to feel like you're overpaying or that you emotionally connect to a house and then there's six offers and you exhausting. don't want it. Yeah. Exactly. And so I do feel like there was a pool of buyers that just decided to rent and wait it out. What was interesting is a lot of my sellers in 2020, so my listings, they didn't buy houses they rented. So they cashed out and they waited. And so I think we're seeing the effects of that a little bit in a healthy way. 
But I, I mean, maybe I'm just such a believer in Lakeland is when you have Tampa and Orlando and they were already at higher markets now tapped out crazy high. We just have more margin to go up. I do think Lakeland is worth the prices we're seeing it at now. And it's sort of this exciting time as Lakeland as an underdog city, sort of in between these two big cities. Now we're like on the map. Nancy, and that's that's what my gut was telling me too, is like what happened is we had such a large volume of buyers coming in from out of state without geographical context. Mm-hmm. Okay. So whereas we might value, like I saw this in like some of the outlier cities, even in Polk, like Auburndale, like yeah. Auburndale's had this price pop that's kind of disproportionate to the area. Right. And I think what it is, is if you were moving to Florida for the first time and you're evaluating maybe a home on a lake, um, and then you're looking at Lakeland versus Auburndale, there's not really a big difference. In fact, Auburndale might be more desirable to you because it's closer to Disney World if right. that's what you're if that's what you're after, right? I mean, and so like if you if you went back a couple of years ago where everybody who's gonna buy that house was really locals and they're making decisions based on maybe the job market in Auburndale versus Lakeland or the mm-hmm. commute to family or whatever, you know, they're just looking at it different. So I think when these prices went up, these obscure cities almost got a, a disproportionate amount of value that it went up because I'm looking at houses like on Lake Ariana that I cannot believe the multiples they're selling at and and how quickly they're trading. And I'm I'm going, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. So right, right. so do you think that the the people the people moving into the state is gonna stay at this kind of a pace or what are they talking about in y'all's industry right now? Yeah, I think Lakeland, there are a lot of people from moving outside of Lakeland here. It's not in in my experience, what I see as much as the hype and the excitement it is to say that like everybody's moving here from California or Seattle or New York since COVID. So maybe the like, data doesn't align with the feeling. I, in my experience, everyone has their own books and sell their own houses to people. Yes, I think it is happening. I sold probably 7% of my volume last year to people from out of state. But you which know, is, 7%, it's not... Totally. Yeah. It, I mean, it is so exciting. It is awesome. But is it everybody know? Is Lakeland going to change for the worst because it's And you're totally right because that's no. how everybody's talking about right yeah. now. It's like 50% of everybody who's buying is from out of state. No, yeah, I, I don't see that. Um, Lakeland is notorious, at least in my kind of customers, to move every like two or three years. So I think a lot of people, my business was they just could make so much money on their home. So they stayed in Lakeland. They lived in Lakeland. They stayed in Lakeland. They just moved houses. Um, so we see a lot of that too. But I do see Lakeland continuing to grow. I don't, you know, I'm not in expert on this, but I don't see it crashing or going down necessarily. But I think a good slowing of it a little bit is very healthy for the market. Like I'm very happy to see this right now. Do you all think that inventory is going to pick up? Because it seems like a big, big component of this is inventory has just been so tight. Inventory was terrible until about like three or four months ago. And it got a lot better, which is popular. People want to list their homes in the summer, whether they're switching school districts, it's just a good transition time for people. So summer tends to open up, which we've seen. It's been much better than it had for the last like 18 months. Um, but yeah, going into Christmas, who wants to move at Christmas? No one. No yeah, one. I see no. that. And right. that's normal flow for us. So. Well, I love that. I think I think that you added a lot of content because because I get I get asked these questions a lot, especially on the real estate market. Everybody is is so speculative about what's going on. It's like, right. should I sell? But if I sell right now, everything that that there is to buy is more expensive. Right. So I've heard a lot of people go in the rental rate rent, rental yeah. route that that you kind of described. Mm-hmm. But but you know what? The rental market has never been more expensive either. Correct. I mean, yep. like these prices for these homes. I mean, it's it's not a bad time to be a residential real estate investor. Totally. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being so sharing of your journey sure, today yes, and just kind of shedding me. some light. Cannot wait to kind of catch up with you in the next year or so. We get yeah. to hear about more that's going on 
Um, but uh, but if you if you want to get align with Paige, definitely look her up on uh, on Instagram. Um, I think that, that 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 would be a great starting point. She could help you, I'm sure, with uh, with anything you need residential, real estate wise. Do y'all get into commercial at all? Yeah. Or, okay. Yep. So residential or commercial. Um, and then uh, she's also just a great resource if you're starting your 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 walkout in business and you're trying to trying to kind of think about of a way to align what you want to accomplish with your with your business that you're starting with your life. Um, as far as the people I've gotten to know, that's got a really good grasp on work life harmony. Um, she she is really a, a, up there, I would say. Um, so so definitely uh, definitely tap into her for that too. Thank well, you. thanks, Paige. Thanks for tuning into the Growing Pains podcast. We hope that you've learned something new or been inspired by this week's episode. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to see more throughout your week. We thank you for your support and hope to see you next week. Thank you.